Um, so here's the deal is we got a great night in store for us. I was uh, talking to Scott a little bit earlier today. I was reading over the focus question and I was excited. And I told him I'm excited to hear this message tonight. So you guys welcome Scott as he comes up to share message tonight. Hi, everybody. My name is Scott. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and recovery from alcohol and drugs. Hi, everybody. It's great to see everybody here. What an encouragement to me. Um, We need each other. So let me pray. Lord, um, thank you for this program. Thank you for your presence in and through it. Uh, That changes lives. Lord, whatever despair that may be in the room tonight that uh, uh, we all have experienced, usually it's what brings us in here, Lord. Would you give the hope that uh, this program and through your power can uh, bring uh, true enjoyment of life? So speak tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, we're in a series of lessons where we're free to talk about something other than the classic acronym 12-step lessons, which will begin in in January. But this lesson really is, is a lesson about why we call this Celebrate Recovery. And, and it's a lesson uh, that uh, will apply to every one of us in the battles we, we face in this life. And for me, if there's one definition of the rewards I've received in the rooms of recovery, it's the word wisdom. You know, the promises say that we'll intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. Well, that's very true for me, let me just say that. And, and today people actually come and want my opinions instead of want to kick me out and, and kick me to the curb because I got nothing to offer. So um, it's often referred to as the wisdom of the rooms. If you're here tonight and you haven't experienced it or you don't know what I'm talking about, you just got to keep coming back, you'll find it here. And uh, every, it's, the reason for this is that everything we do here is biblical. And, and the steps we practice here include the instructions for a meaningful life. And tonight is the first of a a lesson I'm going to teach regarding pleasure and then pain in in a month. But tonight I'm going to talk about all of our humans' pursuits of pleasure because that's something we all deal with. And the promise for tonight is that through Jesus and recovery, we're all going to know a new freedom and a new happiness and our whole attitude and outlook on life will change. Um, You either have experienced that or offering it back or you're going, we don't know what you're talking about, Pastor, well hang with me. Um, Tonight I'll teach the biblical worldview on what the truth is regarding our pursuit of pleasure. For any of us, this is something we pursue, and and it's either a meaningless, uh, addictive pursuit of pleasure, or it's a godly enjoyment of pleasure, and and that's the fine line we walk in our pursuit of pleasure. And so let's look at this tonight. You know, I'm going to start with a weird scripture. I've pondered a lot Jesus' words that it's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I pondered that a lot. Why? Because first off, I'm a history buff, and, and I learned from history, and one thing I realized, that, and I teach it a lot up here, that America is the wealthiest culture that's ever existed on planet Earth, and even the poorest among us in this room are rich by historical world standards, which means we ought to listen to that scripture a little bit. And, and uh, it ought to teach us, it ought to make us think, and maybe it will scare you like it does me, because I want to enter the kingdom of God both this side of death and certainly afterwards. So um, Jesus' words are pretty profound there. And given that it's 
we are the richest people. And Jesus said, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It greatly saddens me that I battle it, but so many I, I see that are rich because they live in the United States, and many of them are just rich because they're rich, uh, are unhappy. And, and I wonder if this is why what Jesus was talking about when he, he said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because riches often make us unhappy. And, and as I look at myself and all those around me living miserable, unhappy lives, it's clear to me that America is a nation literally addicted to pleasure. Don't know if you think about that, but I want you to think about it. I think it's true. And, and this addiction is a subtle temptress that creates all our other addictions, and they're ultimately the destroyer of our nation if we don't turn it around. And the hope is the church, and especially those of us in recovery. You know, I've been camped in the book of Ecclesiastes the last six weeks, and it's such a privilege to be able to teach God's Word. I hope you hear my heart on that. And, and today I share the lessons I've learned the hard way in the hope that some of you will avoid all the pain I've experienced from my bad choices in my pursuit of pleasure and receive the blessings without going through all of that. That's my prayer. And my promise to each of you is that any person can find fulfillment through a biblical worldview and following of what the Bible says about our pursuit of pleasure. So tonight's really a lesson about my journey and, and my own pursuit of pleasure under the sun. And as you'll hear, I teach from my own life experience, which is my testimony. It's also my personal belief that today this message is needed more than ever before by me, my country, and the people I love, which is you tonight. So important to me because in America today, the world is having a much greater impact on the, the church than the church is having on the world. And how is that happening right before us? Well, the truth is under great attack. Just in the last 20 years, the cultural voices have attacked the truth in every possible arena. It hits us right in the face, but we want to claim it's not what the Bible says, which is the lie Satan sold to Adam and Eve at the beginning of time. And in the face of all these attacks on reality and truth, atheism is on the rise. With it, anxiety, anger, depression, addictions, suicide, they're all predictably skyrocketing with each lie that is told and believed here in the richest, most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. Tonight, I'll have us look at this reality that God is still God, and it is the lack of our pursuit of what is really true and the fact that our enemy is cunning, baffling, and powerful that has led every one of us to some obvious failures. Here in Ecclesiastes is God's lesson for us as Solomon will show us. Friends, any honest look at history will reveal that there is a very clear connection between prosperity and misery unless we apply God's word to our lives and seek him first. You see, like most people, I had to learn this truth the hard way. Let me give you my resume in 30 seconds. Um, I was a depressed, suicidal cutter as a youth. It led me, uh, I was an atheist. It led me to, to addiction, shooting heroin at 19, a functional opiate addict until I was 38. Uh, throughout my youth, I, I argued against the reality of God, and uh, I was often depressed and miserable because of that. I've now, through that difficult path, found the truth of God, and I'm now among the most blessed of men because my life is spent using those horrible experiences to hopefully shepherd others who are struggling to not experience the pain I did and skip around it to the joy that God offers without all the pain. So 
Uh, let me begin to, by giving you the backdrop of this great book. It's a very short book, 12 chapters. If you've got your Bible, you might read along with me. It's right after the book of Proverbs and Psalms. But it's one of five books that make up what are called the wisdom books of the Bible. And it was written right around 1,000 years before Christ by a man named Solomon. The word Ecclesiastes in Hebrew is the word koheleth, which means teacher or preacher. Here is Solomon being the teacher or the preacher to all of us who would live after him. Um, What's important here is who Solomon was. He wrote it at the end of his life uh, after he'd lived life to the full. And he lived life to the full because he was the wisest man who ever lived. He was the richest man who ever lived. He was the freest man who ever lived. And he was the most powerful man. Whoever lived because of the season of life he lived in. It was a time of peace and prosperity and wealth was booming. Sounds a lot like the United States of America if we focus on what's right about our country. But so that makes this book very important to us. You see, not only is it God's word, it's this amazingly gifted man's journal on what he learned from his time on earth with all the freedom he had. And He referred to it as life under the sun. If you read the book, it's life under sun or under heaven, which just so you know, means without God. If you live life without God, here's my message to you. And he repeated it over and over again. And um, simply means the way most people, sadly, even so many Christians live as if God isn't available and is not the truth. To put it in recovery terms, this book is his testimony. And it's the best testimony we could ever live on given who he was and what he had to say based on his experiences. And it was written by a time when it was very, very good, just like our times, if we focus on that. So ultimately, if you look at human history, we are the closest people to being like Solomon in our freedom and our wealth and our health and all that we have. So it only takes a glance at reality and the statistics to know that most of us don't see it that way as we choose the empty pursuit of pleasure under the sun and chase the wind. The question tonight is we're going to learn to be wise or will we keep going and live our life of emptiness and futility? So let's look at the truth about pleasure from a biblical worldview. First, I don't know if you realize that all pleasure is created by God. He's only, he is the creator. Nobody else creates So God created every pleasure that we know. He created them for us, for a reason, so that through our experience of them, we might enjoy them and give him the praise and the glory he's well due for creating them for us, okay? Sadly, we all need to take inventory of how Satan has lied to us and taken those pleasures and corrupted them to destroy us and our enjoyment of life in God. Listen to how the great thinker C.S. Lewis put this truth. He says, in all cases, the devil's methods of operations is to pervert one of God's many pleasures. Pleasure is God's creation, not the devil's. Satan will, however, pervert the pleasure, twist it in some way, so that the pursuit of the pleasure becomes in itself displeasing to God. He wants to hook us on the pleasure itself, thus creating a craving which grows stronger as the pleasure diminishes. Any addicts relate? That's a description of drug addiction right there. The first one's so good, we chase it and chase and chase it, we never get it, it always diminishes, and, and we always want more because it's never as good as it was the first time. Think about whatever your addiction is, it's the same story. 
to any addict, this rings like a bell. Now, if you're here tonight and you're one of the 60% of the people in the room who are going, I'm off the hook, why are you preaching this? I'm not an addict. You're not off the hook. You want to be God. You want to control everything just like every American. So you've got the same pursuit of pleasure that you should learn from in this message. So it's all about control for you more than likely. Let's just keep it that simple. Not taking anybody's inventory, just talking the facts. So, what does this have to do with the scripture? Well, let's look at Solomon's opening words here in in chapter 2. He says this, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what was good. In other words, he goes, I'm rich, I'm free, I'm powerful, I'm going to pursue pleasure. Sounds like America. Hedonism, it's called. So you may ask, what pleasures did he pursue? Well, let me just say for the sake of time, all of them. You can read them in, in, in uh, uh, they're up there, but you can read them in the cha- in second chapter of Ecclesiastes. And if you were him, you'd do the same thing, I think. You got freedom, you got, hey, go for it. That's what he said. In, in today's vernacular, he said, if it feels good, I'm going to go for it. And then I'm going to discover if it works for me. Because he was a wise man. And, and so... Um, let's just look at how quickly he gave us the results of his pursuits. He said this, my heart took delight in all that work. Now, when he says work, he, just, he means life. He, he's not saying like I went to work eight to five. He's saying my work was discovering what life was about living life. So understand that when he says work. But he said, I took delight in all my life. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. It is meaningless. Learn from him. The Hebrew word is habel. This is a very broadly descriptive term that has no perfect match in the English language, but it has many synonyms. It means empty, worthless, vanity, devoid of all meaning. And let me point out that here in chapter 2, verse 10, it's the seventh time that this wise man has said, life is meaningless, hell, devoid of all meaning, under the sun, without God. Um, oh, that we would gain wisdom. Oh, that I would continue to gain wisdom. Listen to this, I haven't got this down, but I've come a long way. And I'm offering you to skip all the pain and get here tonight. But before I, so we can save ourselves from all the futility he's writing about, the emptiness of Habel that, that he experienced. But before I get to the good news, let, let me go back to the scripture that it's harder for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because Solomon kind of made this point, you know, a thousand years before Christ, uh, when he pointed out something he called a grievous evil that describes the pursuit of pleasure in the United States today, in my opinion. He said, I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives man a wealth of possessions and honor, but God does not enable him to enjoy them. This is a meaningless and it's a grievous evil that we have all this wealth. Let me, let me translate. We got more wealth than any people that have ever lived by our birth. And we're miserable, unhappy people. We can't enjoy what God has given us. Boy, does that paint a picture of America today to me. More importantly, it it describes the battle I'm in. I I think I've come a long way, but I hope you face some of these truths about your own journey because you'll end up futile, just like Solomon. You aren't as wise as him. Not saying you're stupid, but but he was the wisest man that ever lived. So um, 
The pursuit of the world's pleasure apart from God makes us all miserable. And maybe that's why everybody's miserable in America today. I'm suggesting it's a major reason as you look at all the people who are screaming unhappiness on the TV at us all the time. So let me state two things about pleasure before we get to the good news and I wrap this up. Two things about pleasure. Apart from God, pleasures hold out a hope that is empty and futile and, make no mistake, addictive. With God, these pleasures are a gift from him for us to enjoy. So, let's go back to Solomon's end of life journal, the very word of God. Let me give you three main points. Let me cut to the chase, give you the cliff notes of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me break it down. I do really recommend, I've I've been camped in it every day for, for over a month and just journaling what God says to me through it. It's a brilliant book. It's a wisdom book. But, and I spend some time in it, but let me cut to the chase. It's full of richness, depth, insight, understanding, wisdom. Yet there are three clear messages for us in recovery to live by. The first I've already shared. Life apart from God is meaningless. This truth is stated 35 times in 12 chapters. Remember, this life under the sun is meaningless apart from God. But that's not us, right? So, so for us, we can have meaning and a biblical worldview about pleasure and not fall victim to what the culture is telling us through the demons and other people. So let me get to the second repeating theme that runs throughout the really good news. And it, it, it's, it's really good news if we can learn to apply this because we've got the riches and the freedom still right now. And, it, and it's a... And it really is a referral to how to handle all of God's pleasures that he created. But uh, let me just say, this lie kept me from Christianity for so long. So it's important for me to, to point out that I didn't believe Christianity knew how to enjoy life. Let me just say that. My, my stupid lie for me most of my life was that Christians were stupid because my pursuit of pleasure was all that life was about and all they want to do is stop my pursuit of pleasure and give me this rule-oriented, rigid religion that has no joy in it. And that was the lie I believed for so much of my life. And I'm going to challenge you tonight that a lot of Christians made me believe that's true because that's how they lived. And I'd go, why would I want what you're selling? You're unhappy. I'm at least pursuing happiness. It ended up leading me into the pit of despair, but at least I got temporary pleasure. You just seem miserable all the time. So um, all of that put aside, I was mistaken, and I had no idea what God had prepared for me. None. Today I found a new freedom and a new happiness. My whole attitude and outlook on life has changed, just like the promises say, literally. (laughs) My friends, it's true that pleasure apart from God will always prove to be empty, futile, and meaningless. But the second repeating theme of this book is that Solomon, over and over again, tells us that life is so meaningless, then at least do one thing, enjoy it. While remembering God. So let's fly through these instructions he gives us to find enjoyment. First, we must find God. So, so the first thing he says, find God. Don't, don't do what Scott did. Don't chase enjoyment without God. Find God first. He says this, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To any person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. So our only hope is, is heaven and God, not under the sun. Again, uh, Pleasure is good with God. In fact, it's beautiful. Next, he tells us to seek and find wisdom. 
There are so many Christians headed toward heaven, not taking inventories, living without any wisdom. They usually end up in these rooms. And they're saved, but they just live lives of quiet desperation and emptiness. And, and Solomon gives this advice. He said, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. That's a pretty good comparison. And he says, the wise has eyes in his head, while the fool walks about in darkness. That's what I used to do. Chasing the wind. Remember that God promises that if we find him and seek wisdom, he promises he'll give it to us as long as we believe and don't doubt. The problem is the culture's telling us to doubt everything the word of God says. They're saying it's not true what God says about this or this or that and this. And we go, okay, we believe the culture, not God's word, because we don't even read it. We listen to the culture. God's word and the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, and it's obvious what he says about all these lies the culture's perpetrating on us if we just read his word and let the Holy Spirit speak and don't listen to people because people are the tools of the enemy. But it seems to me, so this is a third step thing. You only get wisdom if you surrender. (laughs) You know, I don't like this book. I don't like a lot of what it says, but I don't argue with it. I don't say I think... What I think's right and this is wrong, I don't. And I guess, according to this, that's what it takes to become wise. Because I don't do it half the time, make no mistake, but I don't argue with it and I don't try to tell somebody that what this says isn't what it says. Because that would be very evil of me. So it only seemed logical to me, I don't know if it's logical to you, that if wisdom is a gift from God, Why would he give it to someone who wants to twist it or argue with him about it or tell somebody it isn't true, don't believe God, or wants to squander the gift? I mean, that just seems logical to me. So so we've got to surrender to wisdom and say, I want it. No, don't mean I follow it. I'm not saying you've got to follow it. Just say, I'm not going to argue with it. I I believe it. And I I won't doubt it. That's all it says. And then God will go, here's wisdom. And from wisdom, you'll start to understand what it means is a biblical word for applying wisdom. But, but after we receive God and receive wisdom, he then goes out and says, now, have fun. Smile, enjoy life. There's pleasures galore out there for you because I created them and now you know how to use them and it's not the way the world's screaming at you. Solomon gives this advice over and over, and he says we're to enjoy life. Sadly, I see few living this promise in America today that that we know a new freedom and a new happiness. Solomon says this, a person can do nothing better, nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work, for without God, who can find enjoyment? Chapter 3 is full of famous wisdom it's it's uh, the song the birds turn turns the chapter that there's a time and a place for everything under heaven I used to hum that song and sing it with the birds and I didn't know I was singing God's word but I was but but it in that twice in chapter three he says this first he says I know that there's nothing better again nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live this is a gift from God then he concludes that chapter with the same advice so I saw that there's nothing better nothing for anyone than to enjoy their work. Again, their work means life. Doesn't mean going to work and working eight to five. Just means your life. Enjoy life. Chapter five gives us more wisdom, but he includes, concludes the entire chapter with this. Moreover, moreover means 
over what I just said throughout this entire chapter, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, in his life, this is a gift from God. Chapter 8. So I commend, I recommend to you guys the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Why? Then joy will accompany him in his work, in his life. Joy will accompany us. Chapter 9, he says it twice more. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. Not you alcoholics, not me alcoholics. <laughs> for, it is, for it is now that God favors what you do. Then again, with added instructions that are so important for America today. You know this is my passion. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life God is giving you. Chapter 11, how many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Be happy, young man, and let your heart give you joy. It goes on to say, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off all troubles from your body. Friends, God says it, so it's possible. You're saying, my circumstance, you don't know, Pastor. God does. He's not saying, but you, because your life's more miserable than his. No, he's saying, this is true for any human being. Oh, that we would work our programs and find the reality and the promise that is guaranteed through this program. So, are we hearing the message? Life is meaningless apart from God. So find God and wisdom and then enjoy life. That's simple. It's a simple life. Let's wrap it up with the most important statement from the teacher. Solomon wraps up the whole book with one statement that he calls the conclusion of the matter. Here's his journal. I've lived life, I'm old, I've tried everything. I've told you, life's meaningless. I've told you, find God, find wisdom and enjoy life. But here's the conclusion of the matter. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Do you know that the very first statement of the Western Church in the Westminster Catechism quoted Solomon. It says man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Enjoy the pleasure of life because God gave them to you. Don't pervert them and allow Satan to pervert them to pursue what will destroy you. We all want to be God in the U.S. more than any other culture. I hope you, you know, when I die, that'll be one of my messages. I know people go, he pounds that drum to death, but, but it's true. We are a rich culture and we're tempted by pleasure. We're the richest, freest people, yet we're suffering and our lack of enjoyment is drying, driving, look around us, the very destruction of our nation. We're a bunch of whining, sniveling, sad people. And for people who don't know the Lord, what more do we expect? Because they're living life under sun. And it's futile. It's futile. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, and even more importantly, for those of us who are in recovery, which is the only place where these promises are attached. I'm sorry, you don't find them in a Bible study. You don't find them anywhere else but in recovery and working the steps and going to group. We're the hope of the world, guys. Because this is where the promises are found. 
and they're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but they will always materialize if we come, keep coming back, and work for them. And if you're struggling tonight, I understand. I, I've been there. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just telling you what the Bible says is possible about what you're pursuing that may be futile and empty. Leave remem remembering this message by keeping it simple. It's a really simple message. You, you probably can all, hopefully all leave with three things. The first thing is anything apart from God, any pursuit for pleasure apart from God is meaningless. Second, find God, find wisdom, and have fun. That's an easy one to remember. And finally, fear God and keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of man because that's where the pleasure is found. I used to think that was the lie. Oh, that, oh, those things will restrict me and make me boring and, and dull. <sighs> Walking with Christ is the most edge of the cliff, exciting life you can ever experience. Yeah. It's not all good because life isn't all good. I'll teach next time on what the program teaches us about handling pain because that's part of life too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that are in this room, Lord. Those of us who have uh, continued to apply these principles in all our affairs, our, our whole attitude and outlook on life begins to change and unfold in the, the mercy of your grace and your love for us to, to offer us wisdom as we know a new freedom and a new happiness. Lord, we intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. I look back at my life and I didn't even know how to quit doing drugs, Lord. Um, much less live life. So, Lord, thank you. Give hope to everybody. Wherever they are tonight, would the hope be that if they keep coming back and do the work, this will always materialize. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's stand and say the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. First time guests, right through those doors. We'll see you all back in an hour.